From WXXI News, this is Connections Live from the Little Theater. I'm Evan Dawson. Our connection for this hour was made in the fall of 2015. I was having a conversation with a friend who was a teacher in a local suburban district. And we were talking about whether students in mostly white districts have a good handle on the various forms of racism. She remarked that her students didn't have any African-American teachers. In the high school, I asked? No, she explained. The whole district. And I was naive. I thought that couldn't be true. A local school district in greater Rochester has to employ hundreds of teachers. It turns out she was wrong in this particular case, but just barely. Her district employs one African-American teacher. Five other local school districts in Monroe County alone employ zero African-American teachers. And that was what sparked my interest in digging into the numbers. We spent the better part of a year compiling data from local schools, higher ed, the Catholic diocese, schools in the Finger Lakes. And what we found is that students of color are underrepresented everywhere. There are no exceptions. Here's the national average. 82% of American teachers, K through 12, are white. 82. The Department of Education recognizes that as a problem because fewer than 50% of American students are white. Well, in Monroe County, 92% of teachers are white. In the suburbs, it's 98%. In the Finger Lakes, 99%. Our goal was not to overwhelm the audience with numbers or stats, but to tell real stories this week to help illustrate the impact of this lack of diversity. And we also wanted to spark a community conversation about the way forward. We're dedicating both hours of the talk show to doing that today. If you've missed the reporting at all, it's collected on WXXINews.org. Click on the Degrees of Diversity tab. It is all there. Let me welcome our panel for our first hour. Candace Hudson is a teacher in the Hilton Central School District. You might have heard her story in our series this week. Candace, nice to see you in person out here. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Evan. Also here is Trina Newton, superintendent of the Geneva Central School District in the Finger Lakes. Trina, welcome to you. Thank you. Uh, also here is Simeon Bannister, parent and school board member in the Rush Henrietta Central School District. Simeon, welcome to you. Thanks so much. And Sean Nelms is here, superintendent of East. You might have heard Sean and me trying to figure out the branding. <laughs> East, upper schools, lower schools. Right. East. East. East it is. Well, welcome. Nice to have you here as well, Sean. Uh, I, I want to ask our panelists to go ahead and give some opening remarks just about their thoughts on what they've heard reported all week long in the, theor- in the series. And then pretty soon after that, we want to open it up to audience questions because I know uh, I've been asking questions for a year. Let's have the audience help uh, drive some of that conversation. Candace Hudson, I want to start with you the far end of the table here in our live studio. Just some of what you have, maybe some of the feedback you've been hearing this week, Candace, uh, and some of your thoughts on the public trying to absorb this information we've put out there. I've heard positive feedback. Um, Many of it came from my actual colleagues, some who don't even know me. I've received many emails, um, messages, just in support. And I'm glad that the piece was done because many of the questions I had myself about the lack of diversity were answered in several of the pieces that you did this week. Are you, uh, are you hopeful to see change or, or anything kind of come out of this in any short order? I'm very hopeful. I'm hoping that this sets, uh, sends the message out that it is a problem and we have many options of fixing it. Okay. Trina Newton, some thoughts from you? This has been an ongoing conversation in Geneva City School District since I became superintendent in 2012. So we are happy that this is a discussion. We are hoping that there will be young people um, of color that will make the decision to go into the education field, and we would invite them to apply in the Geneva City School District. And I would say that we made a decision to grow our own in Geneva. Okay, and what are some of the sort of early returns on the work that you're putting in there, Trina? 
Um, we are working with today's students, tomorrow's teachers. It is an eight-year program. Our first cohort are currently sophomores in college. So we won't see a return for a couple more years. But at this point, we have over 50 of our students that are in the pipeline. Okay. Simeon Bannister, board member from the Rush Henrietta Central School District. Uh, I was talking to him before the, the program began, and in fact, there's some, there's some work going on right now in your district that's very current on this, isn't there? Uh, there is. First off, uh, Evan, let me just uh, thank you for including me uh, along with this uh, wonderful panel, this inaugural concept. <laughs> yeah. uh, we really appreciate uh, being here. Uh, also very grateful to the people of the town of Henrietta uh, because they saw fit to elect me to uh, the school board. Uh, and uh, as I uh, began my journey on the school board, uh, one of the first issues uh, that we've confronted uh, really has a lot to deal with uh, diversity uh, in our district. Um, as you alluded to, uh, Evan, uh, there are some very concrete steps that uh, we've been uh, initiating to try to start to resolve some of these uh, issues. Uh, I do want to make one note, though, on the, on the, um, uh, with respect to the, the commentary this week. I was, uh, number one, just very pleased and gratified that, that this issue is being talked about and it's being covered. Um, the one thing I did notice is that uh, a lot of the focus for the benefit of diversity uh, tends to um, identify uh, diverse children, uh, and often uh, black children, and the impact that uh, diversity has for them. Critical to reflect on that. But there's also a broader benefit uh, for our entire community because our economy has changed. And to the extent that we are in a knowledge-based economy that is so dependent on collaboration, it's absolutely critical that our children of all hues, of all stripes and backgrounds, uh, see diversity in the classroom. I think that's well said, and I think uh, what, we, what we also tried to do in our lead-up to this reporting is be as evidence-based as we can, Absolutely. and I think uh, you can find a lot on WXXINews.org in the Degrees of Diversity tab. We included a special section on just some of the research that's out there, and it turns out uh, there have been studies of different kinds for several decades now on the impact on students of color, but also the concern you could read going back to 1987, researchers said, you know, what better way to teach white children what white supremacy is than by to have them only see white teachers and white authority figures. And that doesn't mean that the term white supremacy, I think, can, can be, it shakes some people up in a moment. But I think their point was saying it may not even be intentional, but a signal that you're sending. So you want to just elaborate on some of that? Is that part of the concern you're raising there? Sure, absolutely. I mean, I think that and I think uh, even, you know, and perhaps a, a more, uh, quote, innocuous way uh, to the extent that um, a knowledge economy is heavily dependent on people seeing creative ideas in new ways. Uh, and when you have folks that are from different backgrounds and different uh, perspectives, uh, what they bring to the table, and this has been demonstrated, it's been demonstrated mathematically uh, and, and in a number of other research contexts, that there's a significant benefit to having folks from different backgrounds around the table together to solve problems. That is a literal threat to our competitive advantage in our community. A, homogeneity is a disadvantage. Heterogeneity, what we uh, term as diversity, and certainly along with that inclusion, is an advantage. Uh, and so this isn't just a question of moral benevolence. Uh, it's also a question of, uh, of our economic vitality as we move into the future. Okay. Superintendent Nelms? Yes. Some uh, thoughts from you? Well, again, I thank you for having um, such a meaningful dialogue and being a courageous uh, reporter and, um, and representing all of us. Uh, I, I, I agree. I think that diversity enhances our overall community, you know, economically, politically, and socially. And teaching often is um, 
the method in which we engage with our kids first, and we start to shape their global experiences. And I had the privilege of working in two suburban districts as, and, as well as a city, and um, it was clear to me that there is a level of diversity that's different in the city than there are in the suburbs. But I would say that there are um, diverse thoughts represented in all of those communities. And um, something we should further explore is how do we um, unpack diversity of thought and diversity of experiences within those suburban districts that appear to be um, homogenous. But truthfully, there is a lot of diversity within that that we don't give enough credit um, to. And uh, I can speak further to that later. Well, sure. Yeah. I think one of the, the sentiments I encountered this week, you know, you get feedback of all different kinds in the community, and, and there was some, some pushback, right. which we knew would be coming. And some, you know, to, so to some degree, we heard from uh, some listeners who said, well, but there's not a lot of diversity in the suburbs to begin with. Of course there wouldn't be. And Candace Hudson and I were talking about this before the program began. I'll just give you Hilton as an example because those numbers are top of mind for me. So Hilton has 394 teachers, 393 are white. And Candace is the only teacher of color in the entire district. Now, Hilton may have a reputation for being less diverse, and if you look at the numbers for students, it's less diverse than the city of Rochester, it's less diverse than Brighton, it's less diverse than Greece or Rush Henrietta, but 10% of students in Hilton are students of color. So a couple of students in every classroom are students of color, and to have that represented with parity on the teaching staff, you would have 39 teachers of color, and you have one. So even in Hilton, where some, some of our listeners said, well, why would you feature Hilton? That Maybe that's not as representative. Yes, there's more diversity in the student body than people may assume, and it just does not show up in the teaching workforce. What, what if, having worked in those settings, what, what's the impact of that? Well, I, I, can, I can talk to Hilton a little bit because I am a resident of Hilton, and my children uh-huh. in Hilton, and they happen to be classroom. Um, <laughs> so I will say that Hilton has done some things that um, they may not have received credit for in trying to bring diversity to the school setting. Um, perhaps they haven't been successful through the employment process, but I know that um, in my child's school, when there are events, the school is very active in trying to ensure that all parents um, are in attendance, but they do so often target and say, hey, it would be really important if you would help out with this particular um, uh, event or occurrence. And I think it's done strategically. It's done to not just benefit my own children, but to all the children in, in, within Hilton. When there are issues that involve um, race or kids make inappropriate comments, the school has done an incredible job of bringing the families together um, in Hilton to, to further unpack why words are hurtful and how they're hurtful and how, um, how diversity, having a diverse context is more meaningful for all students. So I think schools are those who don't have a workforce representation of diversity some are trying aggressively to involve community members like myself and Hilton to um, support um, a diversity in thought and also have representation in different ways um, through parent organizations. And that's one way to combat that. But, but it is important that um, those same districts actively recruit um, teachers of, of various backgrounds. That, that, is, that is critical. It's critical for my son to not have the only black male to interact with in a professional setting. Um, be myself. It's important they have someone in their setting um, who may look like them, who they have, who they feel they can connect to, just from a cultural standpoint. Candace Hudson, again, a teacher in the Hilton Central School District. Can you sort of elaborate on some of what Dr. Nelms was saying when it comes to maybe those sensitive moments and the effort to have outreach and dialogue, even for a school staff that is almost monolithically white? Well, first, um, <clears throat> Dr. Nelms, your son does 
have that ex- aspect because I actually work in his classroom, so he sees me every day. <laughs> Plus for him. <laughs> um, How's he doing? Great. <laughs> um, I'm also a Hilton parent. My son is also in fourth grade, like Dr. Nelm's son, and um, he attends Northwood. So I've never experienced um, any of that aspect as far as the any racial comments or anything, and I'm sure the school district does dive in and take care of what they need to. But um, I do feel that, you know, with the lack of diversity, it's not just beneficial for our ethnic students. We did recently adopt the Urban Suburban Program, and it would be great for those students to see teachers who look like them, but my point is not just for those students. It should be for all students. There's a world outside of Hilton. It's 2016 when these students graduate from college and they go out into the real world, they're not just going to see all white people. So I think it's good to introduce that to all of them. It's beneficial for everyone, not even the students, the staff as well. Many staff members have said to me when they hear the number, one out of 394 teachers, it's alarming. They never thought of it that way. So I'm glad that this you know, piece came about. Well, and on the subject of why, a big question is why we're in this position to begin with. And it's complex. Uh, but I will let our listeners know, if you didn't see it, we, we rolled out our fifth and final piece this morning about the pipeline and where the pipeline breaks down at various points for, uh, for students of color. Why? Uh, I, I guess the short answer to that is that uh, research indicates that, for example, you know, in Illinois, a big research project that one of the associate deans of the University of Rochester helped lead found that 4% of white students in high school say they want to be teachers, and that's a pretty strong number, and it's 0.9% of black students who will say the same. There's a, you know, there's a stereotype. There are a number of stereotypes out there, and often they are wrong. There, it's much more complex about what is preventing students of color from becoming teachers of color. But we tried to explore some of the reasons in our pipeline piece, and I know that th- throughout these two hours today, we'll have questions about that, about process, about hiring, about candidacies. We heard from superintendent after superintendent, especially in Monroe County, who tell us, you know, we don't have candidates of color. And so let's do this. If, if you've got questions or comments, if you want to start coming to the microphones, I'd like to go to the audience uh, questions and comments. And so um, come, there's two microphones. Come on down here. Uh, I'll reset for our audience who's not live in, in the, th- the theater here, which is most people listening right now. Uh, we're broadcasting for the first time live on the road. We're at the Little Theater with a live audience here as we cap our series on, on teacher diversity and the lack of diversity in our schools. If you go to wxxinews.org, click on the Degrees of Diversity tab. Our reporting all week long is there. There's an interactive map there for uh, Monroe County residents, so you can check out your diversity statistics in your own uh, community. And if you live in the Finger Lakes, if you live in other communities, we've tried to compile spreadsheets as well that you can find so you can immediately uh, check out sort of how things stack up there. Our panel in studio includes Candace Hudson, a teacher in the Hilton Central School District, uh, Sean Nelms, the superintendent of East, Simeon Bannister is a parent and school board member in the Rush Henrietta Central School District, and Trina Newton is a superintendent of the Geneva Central School District. And let's go ahead and, and move on to some of our first questions in the audience. So first of all, sir, I don't know your name. I usually I know the caller's name, but you're in studio. So could, please tell us your name and, and go right ahead. My name is Kevin Beckford, uh, and I live in Pittsburgh. Um, I used to live here 10 years ago, and we just moved back. Uh, and and I, first of all, I want to thank you so much for bringing up this wonderful topic because... I think it's extremely important, and you just touched on something which really prompted me to get up. 
you know, one of the things, I, I grew up in the Caribbean, in the, uh, I'm originally from Jamaica, and I spent about 18 years in the Bahamas Islands. Now, why is this important? Growing up as a kid, uh, the, the leader of the country, my doctor or a lawyer, the, the person at the fruit stand, uh, the homeless person, you name it, all look like me. So growing up, I had aspirations of being anything I wanted to be. And the reason being is because I didn't see any barriers. So it's really important, one of the reasons we may not have a lot of young kids thinking about being, becoming a teacher is that you may not see enough teachers that look like you. So that's extremely important, and I think we take that for granted. I know what it's like to feel to be the member of the majority race. It, it, there's something that was communicated to me as a kid, not literally, but just by my experience, that made me dream as far as I would like to dream. And I think that's something that uh, in the United States, uh, if, you're, if you're a white person and you're the majority race, it's very easy to not think about what the impact is to minority kids. And so being here, I got off the plane and I went from being a majority to minority status. And, and the, the biggest barrier, when people usually say, well, what was your biggest challenge? Was it the weather? <laughs> it seems obvious, but it wasn't. The actual biggest barrier was adjusting to what it's like to navigate my life differently as a member of the minority. And so it's extremely important, whether you're white or black, this is not a white or black issue, even though it impacts us differently. We want all of our kids, all of them, black, brown, white, you name it, to be able to see that they can become anything they want to be and to aspire to the greatest heights. Having the first African-American president is nice. But that's not where it should stop. Look in your companies when you go back to your companies and ask yourself, why is there not more representation of people of color and women and all under, uh, underprivileged groups throughout your entire organization? So this is an extremely important topic. And I think it's something where we take it for granted. But whether you're white or black, this is an issue for you. Because you want your kids to be able to enjoy being anything they can in this country. I'll stop there. Th thank you. Th okay. Thank you very much for that. You can applaud that if you'd like to. It's up to, I heard someone to jump in. Thank you very much for, for those remarks. Uh, on the panel, does someone want to, Sean Nelms want to respond to that? Yeah, I, I completely concur. At East, we have 38% of our staff are non-white, and so we have a pretty eclectic um, group. And um, I totally agree. I, I understand and embrace the position that I'm in and the, the looks on the faces of the children who approach me and wonder um, how did I get to where I am and what does that mean in the pathway. Um, at East, we have done several things to expand those horizons. We work with the Black Physicians, Physicians uh, Network to bring in um, a host of uh, black doctors from throughout the community on career day. We've done things um, with all um, underserved groups. And I, I think it's critically important that and schools can do that regardless of where they are located within Monroe County, is to network with local organizations to bring the diversity to the school as they try to bridge the employment uh, gap. And, and those, those are, there are tons of fraternities and sororities and organizations throughout the community that are just waiting to be invited. And I think that when I hear superintendents say there's no candidate pool, I, what I hear them saying is I don't know how to access people within those, uh, within those, those groups. And so th there are educators out there. There are people who are black teachers who are unemployed right now in Rochester. So they are available. Um, but the greater question is to what extent, how do we get those organizations, those groups um, 
access to those superintendents or those other community organizations. And we, we can work on that as a community. Well, let me just follow that up before we come back to our live audience questions and comments by saying that when it comes to candidates of color, I'm, I'm seeing comments coming in from online applauding the remarks they just heard, but, but some saying, well, but where are the candidates of color and, and why are superintendents saying that they're they routinely don't find candidates of color. I'll give you an example. You might have heard Superintendent Mark Linton from the East Rochester District mention that in his 20 years as an administrator, here's the process, and maybe Sean and, and Trina especially can, and, and, and Simeon as a school board member can, can kind of speak to this process, uh, but here's what Mark says. When there's an open teaching job, they get around two to 300 initial online applications, and they don't know someone's racial background it's not included in the application, and what they're doing is then bringing in 20 for interviews. And at that point, obviously, you're meeting someone in person. He said in 20 years as an administrator, both as a principal and now as a superintendent, he can remember two candidates of color coming in for interviews for jobs. So if it's one teaching job that's open a year as an administrator in 20 years, out of 400 candidates who made the next cut of interviews, two have been candidates of color. If it's two teaching jobs open a year, that's two people out of 800. He simply said they just are not seeing it. Trina, is that your experience as a superintendent? It is our experience. And I stopped into HR yesterday, and those ladies really have a pulse on the applications that are coming in. And one of the parents happens to have mixed-race children in the district, so she's very sensitive to this. And what she has said is we have no applications coming in. We go to the recruiting fairs, and we're not seeing what we're seeing are white candidates at the recruiting fairs. So, I mean, it, it isn't easy to find candidates of color, and it, we are trying, which is why we go back to that homegrown. Okay, and, and there are, we've also had feedback this week from people saying, you know, respectfully, they either don't buy it, and, I, and I'm not discounting your experience or Mark Linton's or anybody's. I think there are community members who think that can't be good enough. Simeon Bannister, can you speak to a little bit of that? Sure, sure. I mean, I think, um, you know, when it comes down to it, um, I suppose I want to start with a, with a quick shout out to uh, my own superintendent, uh, Dr. Ken Graham and his team, uh, which really has put a lot of focus on, on this issue and, and has really started to kind of uh, start working towards some solutions uh, within our school district. Now, uh, for the folks that are listening, your studio audience can confirm I'm taller than my uh, little boy, Julian, but I am not a tall man. Uh, and so while our district is, uh, is certainly uh, doing better than uh, quite frankly, many of the districts in Monroe County, we still have a long, long way to go when 96.7% of, uh, of our teaching staff um, is, uh, is white. I think uh, Dr. Nelms kind of hit on something when we were talking uh, offstage that uh, it seems to me that we can kind of like walk and chew gum at the same time, right? Uh, it seems to me that this is certainly a long-term problem that needs a long-term solution, but there's certainly some short-term things, Dr. Nelms just alluded to, uh, one, in terms of bringing professionals into the school that we can do to try to mitigate some of these problems in the short term as we try to build up the and galvanize more uh, young people uh, of color to, uh, to, join the, uh, to join the classroom ranks. Um, the real question here, and it, as it is, is one of political will and one of the will of the districts to make these changes. Uh, I'm excited to say that in Henrietta, I get the sense that my uh, board colleagues are very much committed to this, and I hope that that's true uh, across the county. So now it's a question of how we translate that into real action, uh, and I think a great starting point uh, is to connect with more of these organizations uh, that can come in and show our children a different dynamic, uh, but then we've got to take some additional steps. Okay. Uh, let me do this. We're late for our only break of the hour, 
And we're going to take that break, and we're going to come back to our audience participation. We've got a lot of people here who want to weigh in with comments and questions, and we're, we're thrilled to see uh, a pretty packed theater here at the Little Theater. It's our first live broadcast on the road for Connections, and we're capping our week-long reporting series, Degrees of Diversity, looking at the lack of diversity on teaching staffs in local schools. You're hearing from Simeon Bannister, who's a board member in the Rush Henrietta Central School District, Trina Newton, superintendent at Geneva Central School District, Sean Nelms is the superintendent of East, and Candace Hudson is a teacher in the Hilton Central School District. Your comments continue after our only break of the hour. Coming up in our second hour, we continue live from the Little Theater with Connections, capping our week-long reporting series on the state of teacher diversity in our schools, the lack of diversity, and what to do about it. We welcome a new panel next hour, including two local superintendents and a local teacher. We'll take more of your comments from the live audience here and your phone calls and emails as well. That's next hour. Welcome back to Connections. I'm Evan Dawson, broadcasting live from the Little Theater, and let's continue with our audience participation. Mike here, is this stage left? I don't know. Stage right. Stage right. What is this over here? Stage Go ahead on this microphone here. I need my stage terms. Okay. Hi, I'm Yantes Fulton. Um, I work in the HR department in one of the best, I feel, community agencies, which is Action for a Better Community. Um, you, A couple of you touched on partnership as far as how we can, for the purpose of why we're here, is to um, bridge that gap. And I would personally like to say we have an excellent, excellent choice for the teachers in our early Head Start program associated with the Head Start um, agency. So if we could partner, if we could pass information to at least start the process how, you know, we want to. But i also like to make a comment. I am a product of being a student with all white teachers. And like the gentleman said, he felt like he was in the majority. I never felt as if I was the minority because I know whatever I want to do, I can accomplish it. But I did have one teacher who was of my hue. Her name was Dr. Vera McFadden. And if I hadn't had that conversation with her, someone that I can relate to, somebody who can encourage me, somebody who understood where I was coming from, I probably wouldn't have continued the path that I take that I've taken, if, if that makes sense. You get what I'm saying? So my perspective is regardless of what your teachers are, as long as you can have that one who can relate to you, who can connect to you and just encourage you. So for the staff or I'm sorry, for the students that we have coming up at Early Head Start, if we can connect to our students that way, if we could have some of those teachers even come into the district because they're well qualified. And that's just that sector. We have a, a many sectors in our agency, the um, you know, family self-sufficiency program, we have the Save Our Youth program, and there are qualified people who will be willing to make that stretch and, and meet where it needs to be met. Um, my last comment would just be, you know, not specifically because there are all white teachers in these districts, People of my hue have to be open to going out to other districts as well. So don't limit yourself to just one particular area. If, you, if you're passionate about it enough, if, that's, if, if you have the big picture, or if you, on the, if you see the big picture as, as you are, then go stretch. Meet the people where they are. You don't have to limit yourself to any district. Thank you for the comments there. Uh, panel, uh, well, let me ask the teacher on the panel. It's Candace Hudson to, re to respond to some of what you just heard. Go ahead. I agree with her, and I feel like um, we need to make more connections 
with opportunities like this. I've never heard of this young ladies program. This is something we can do to start bridging the gap to create more diversity. Also, um, I also agree with her point about it doesn't matter what the teacher looks like. It could, as long as the person's making an impact on you. Um, I do feel that even though there was a point made this week about saying that teachers are out there, diverse teachers, but they don't want to travel, um, she makes a point. If you feel like you really want to be in the profession, you need to travel to Hilton, travel to Pittsburgh, Honeyo Falls. I mean, if you want to make an impact, it doesn't matter where it is, you should still do that. The research that Candace is talking about uh, is just finds that most teachers want to teach near where they grew up. It's pretty natural. Most teachers end up teaching within 15 miles of where they grew up and often in a similar, either the same district they grew up in or sort of a similar kind of school setting. And so uh, it sounds like the idea of broadening the horizons is, could be helpful there. Let's go to this microphone here. Go ahead. Hi, my name, my name is Kathy Castagna, and I'm a resident of Rochester, New York. And um, I also was a school teacher many years ago because we're doing radio. I'm white. I um, would like to say that I also now work with organizations on how to create greater inclusion. One of the things that I see as a huge problem, and Lisa Delpit wrote about this years ago in a book called Other People's Children, where she was a, a teacher of color trying to survive in a predominantly white school with white teachers who downplayed the advice she was giving them to the point where she just became silent. And I hear this from other school teachers, even in the Rochester School District, who are talking about their white colleagues not being allies, not knowing how to create a climate where they want to stay in the profession. So I guess my question for you is, how are we dealing with the retention issue once we do all this recruitment? How are we dealing with creating a climate among the staff where people of color really want to be there and where their voices are truly heard? So this is a question, a question for all the panel. It's a great question. I'll just supplement that before I kick it to the panel with the fact that uh, Karen DeAngelis' <clears throat> research at the University of Rochester and with her colleagues at Southern Illinois found that that's a big leak in the pipeline. You, the, the biggest loss in the profession is African-American teachers. In, in other words, teachers who are African-American leave the profession more than white teachers, but also more than Latino teachers, Asian teachers. There's something that's happening in which we see that's the highest loss rate. And the question is why and what can we do? You're talking about being an ally, being inclusive. Dr. Nelms, I'll start with you. Yeah, absolutely. I, I can concur. I, I taught in a um, predominantly white district as well as in the city. And there is there are times in my first year where I was sick of hearing some of the, the jokes to make me feel comfortable, yeah. you know. And I was um, frustrated by uh, those who I didn't identify with on the surface. But but. The more I got to know my colleagues, the, the more in common um, I found us to be. I gave my, my brother this advice. He went to Howard University in D.C., which was a historically black college. When he graduated from college, he really struggled his first two years in the workplace, being in a more inclusive setting. And I jokingly said to him, my first year of teaching, when I was taught in the city, but it was predominantly white staff, I said, we were sitting at lunch, and we were talking about Seinfeld. I had never seen an episode of Seinfeld a day in my life at that point. And I noticed that if I wanted to at least be part of the lunch conversation, I had to know who Jerry Seinfeld was. And I said to him, I said, watch Seinfeld and watch ESPN for a little bit and then, and then get yourself comfortable. And then, and then you start to, to diversify the conversation. It was probably really bad advice, but there was, if the point was getting people of color to, um, to work in suburban settings is one step, but creating a culture and environment within those settings that are truly inclusive is the next. 
And and that takes political will. It takes um, an, an honest um, look in the eye. And I think I think about people like Jeff Crane from Western Ronacoy who is not only leading the charge of, of inclusive, inclusivity and diversity, but he demands that of his staff in a very non-threatening, inclusive way. All districts must have that type of um, support, and I think he'll be up the next hour. So, Jeff will be on the next hour. Jeff cares enough about this issue that he showed up on his own, and we have an extra seat, and I've convinced him to be on the next right. panel. So that's yeah. it. Uh, and let me just also add, having Megan Mack and I having communicated with districts across this region, there is a it is not entirely consistent how districts have responded to this. Some districts didn't want to release information at all, made us file freedom of information requests, drag their feet on responding. Others, I had superintendents call or email me directly saying, you know, the numbers aren't what we want, but here they are, and what do you need, and come on out, and who do you need to talk to? Um, and I think everyone you're seeing here today represents that mentality, uh, and there's, there's a lot of that, but but it's not the case everywhere. And so hopefully this community conversation leads to more. We're hearing from parents in the audience talk to me this morning saying, we're going to start this conversation. We're going to make sure our district's having it. And that's what we want to see. Go ahead on this mic right here. My name's Stephanie Townsend. I live and work in Pittsburgh. And one of the things that struck me throughout the week's reporting was precisely what you were just talking about, Evan, was the, the difference between administrators and how they are responding um, to these issues. So on the one hand, earlier reporting this week, you know, highlighted Brighton, where not only are there efforts to diversify the faculty, but also clearly proactive efforts to work with white teachers to be able to better support students of color, work around curriculum, student unions. And then on the other hand, you have other districts that either are more passive or seem unaware of the needs, or I would even say are unaware of what their role is in this issue. So my question really is, what are some of the factors that you think make the difference between those very proactive districts and administrators and those who aren't? And even more importantly, what can communities do to try to help bring their districts along um, to address these issues more proactively? Simeon might say run for school board. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think, certainly think that, again, the diversity of opinion uh, for decision makers and, and leaders in communities uh, is, is critical. You know, there's one thing I want to kind of, you know, antagonize a little bit here. Um, a lot of times in these conversations, there's a tendency to, like, problematize or stigmatize um, the folks that, um, uh, for instance, in this case, uh, uh, black students, that the real issue here is that black students need to see more people that look like them in front of them, and that will help them to be able to succeed. So there's the problem that we have to solve. Um, and I want to kind of turn that on its head a little bit, quite frankly. Uh, I don't know that that's the singular problem here. Certainly it is a problem, uh, and we certainly wouldn't uh, neglect that. Uh, but it seems to me that there's a broader problem we alluded to at the outset, right? And I think one of the issues that we have is that to the, if, if the only perceived problem are the other, then we have no cause on a broad uh, uh, basis to then attempt to solve these problems, right? They become incidental solutions, like if we, if we have time for them, as opposed to solutions that we need to focus on and concentrate on. Let me give you just a, a quick example. If all of a sudden across Monroe County, graduation rates suddenly dipped uh, below 50%, particularly outside of the city, would we have a crisis in Rochester, <laughs> right? Would we have, you know, uh, uh, Sturm and Drang and all kinds of tears being shed about the solutions that we need to come up with? Absolutely. Uh, and so I would, again, argue that the real problem here uh, is not just for um, uh, kids of color. A bigger problem is that all of us are suffering 
because we don't have diversity. All of us are less competitive and are seeing ourselves being uh, cutting our cutting our nose off despite our faces economically because we have not pursued uh, more solutions to solve this very very critical problem. Trina Newton from Geneva, uh, go ahead. Certainly, you can go on that. Trina Newton, the, the Geneva superintendent. Can you weigh in on that as well? First of all, I think this is a community issue, as was brought up. And I am extremely fortunate to be in Geneva, where we have Hobart and William Smith Colleges. And we have a great partnership with them through Geneva 2020. And this, um, this effort is bringing the community into the school district. So it's not just our issue, it's a community issue to educate all of the kids. And what most of your listeners may not realize is I serve 51% um, students who are not white. So we're a majority minority school district. 30% of those children are Latino. 10% of my children are non-English speakers. And that's in the middle of the Finger Lakes. So this really has become a community issue where our leaders are coming into the schools or our kids are going out and shadowing and mentoring different people in the community. All right, let's go to this microphone. And I know the name. It's it's a face that's familiar to me. That's Melanie on that microphone. Go ahead, Melanie. Hello, my name is Melanie Funches, and I live in the city of Rochester. My, I have a comment and a question. My comment is around engagement and recruitment. There are things called historically black colleges and universities. And I know that in this community in particular, in a time, maybe it was in the 90s, that, they, that there was a willful intent to go to the HBCUs and where all the students are, or all the teachers coming out are black and to go and actively recruit to get people to come. There's a way to do it. Mike, but I have a question about how do we as a community look at this? I want to echo what Simeon said. You spoke real truth in the fact that we need to stop identifying, you know, this whole problem as it's a black problem. We need to do this for the black people, to and for the black people. All of our people, children learn in school what they, the possibilities of what they can be in the world and who does what in the world. And what the, these districts without, te- without diversity teaches children is that white people do everything that is to be done in the world. White people lead in the world. And so when we're, and even in the messaging that we're saying in here today is saying, you know, we need to do this for black students. We need to help this for people. How do you intend to address the bias that exists? and the, the change of thought so that we understand that we all need to grow. And I'm talking about in the current environment so that when Mr. Nelms is needing to do this, he doesn't have to go watch Seinfeld, that the white teacher can go watch Girlfriends, okay, can go, no, that, no so that we can do it both ways so that, that the narrative becomes that we all must move so that we can center, because it's always that blackness does not get to get centered, that we are always acquiescing to dominant culture. How do we make it so this becomes a dichot- uh, two-way okay. way? Thank it's you, Melanie. Let me start with Candace Hudson, who, uh, Candace Hudson went to, to VUU, right? I did, yes. Um, thank you, Melanie. You are absolutely correct. Um, I'm a product of a historically black college university. I went to Virginia Union University. And in my senior year of my um, college career, 
I was recruited by um, two administrators from Perth Amboy, New Jersey, who came down to our, we had a recruitment, um, like, extravaganza at the point, and <laughs> they came down, and there were 137 of us who graduated that year, highly qualified. Seven of us were recruited to um, suburban communities across New York, Virginia, um, New Jersey, and I mean, Vermont. So yes, it can be done. The recruitment is possible. We need to want to do it and get out there and do it. Okay, other panelists want to respond to Melanie's comments there? Simeon? Yeah, I'll just say, uh, if you go out to uh, MCC right now, there is a uh, series of buildings on MCC's campus named for a woman named Alice Young. Uh, Alice Young was a person in Rochester, uh, in the Rochester City School District, uh, who recruited my mother, actually, to come to Rochester, New York, as an African-American teacher. So it's not like this hasn't been done before, right? It's not like uh, some of these solutions aren't potentially available to us. Again, it's the, the, it's the capacity to which we will muster the willpower to make it happen. And again, it's the extent to which we see this as a real problem that all of us have to deal with. Okay. Let's start down here. Go ahead, sir. Hi, my name is Gary Putup. I live in Greece, and I've worked in the city. Um, if I could just, uh, I'd like to add a little bit to what Simeon and Melanie have had to say. Um, I, I think there's another aspect of this that's important for the diversity also. I was a police officer for 30 years, and when I started as a police officer back in the, in the late 70s, there were probably a handful of officers of color. And through affirmative action programs, there were more and more officers, more and more officers of color. And a lot of the reason was given so that young people and that could see the, these, these people in, in this positive role model and then would want to become police officers. But I think an added benefit was, it's very little talked about, is that it also changed the attitude of the majority white police officers because they never dealt with people of color unless it was like in a bad situation. So I think what's also equally important in this is that white students see people of color in a positive role model. But if I, if I could just make one quick, uh, it was a, a question I heard about on the segment this morning, and, it, and there was a note, um, something was noted that one of the reasons it's difficult to recruit people is because, it, you know, it's not, a, it's not seen as a path to wealth. Um, my wife's a retired school teacher. My daughter's a special ed teacher. I mean, it's, especially in today's economy, it's a steady job, good benefits, good retirement. What do we do to get that message across? Why isn't that message is getting across, especially for a community that suffers disproportionately from poverty? Thank you, Gary. I'll let anybody who wants to jump in first go, go ahead. Uh, Candace Hudson, go ahead. Sure. I'll just add that in my case, when I was recruited to Perth Amboy um, Public Education, one of the incentives to come teach was a $6,000 bonus. I probably shouldn't say that now, but it's been over 16 years. <laughs> so there's a way to... Um, you know, get people to go where you want them to go. Okay. Other thoughts, Dr. Nelms? I grew up in uh, poverty, and so my first check at $31,000 was I was rich. So <laughs> I, I think that teaching is a viable option. My wife's a teacher, and um, I, I think that, you know, historically education and nursing and other professions were the only professions that we actually were allowed to go in and be successful. And so I think that as um, the black middle class grows, I think we are exposed to other careers as well. And so teaching doesn't become the only option, it becomes one of many options. And um, I think that we have to, I think teachers, people who teach, we have a passion and desire to do so. And, um, and that's why I'm less focused on the recruitment, short term, the recruitment of black teachers. That's extremely important. We've done a good job of that at East with 38% of our staff not being white. But I'm 
more concerned with the development of teachers who are currently in um, currently in our schools and making sure that they are culturally uh, competent and they know how to um, to deal with students and their communities that the students come from. Um, so, so I think teaching is a viable option. I think that there are a lot of things politically right now that make teaching an unattractive um, career. But I also think that um, um, I think that a lot of African Americans who are going off to college are seeing the opportunity to branch out into professions that they historically have not been um, have not had access to. We featured Christopher Fields, a teacher right. at East, who uh, I really enjoyed that conversation mm-hmm. with him. And mm-hmm. one of the sound bites he we th- we had to cut out mm-hmm. for editing time. He said, "Students, no matter who the teacher is." Students can figure out in about five minutes if you're culturally competent, and if you are not, you lose them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think he's, he's absolutely right, and we see that. And I've seen teachers um, – I've never found a teacher who was willing to unpack their own bias and to improve them, their practice not be able to do so. It's those who refuse to, take, to make the attempt that often lose students in the process. Okay. Uh, Simeon, want to weigh in? Go ahead. Yeah, just really quickly. You know, in a climate where we see um, eroding uh, benefits, um, uh, eroding, in some instances, salaries, um, it raises the question of how we prioritize our teachers, whether we think that they are an important part of our uh, community and our society. And I just think it's an important, you know, point to make, regardless of, you know, where you come down, recognizing the very harsh uh, economic realities. Uh, but we also have to be clear that if we make this a profession that pays less, that doesn't have sufficient benefits, then yes, it's going to become more difficult to recruit quality teachers. Uh, conversely, if we make it a, a, a profession that is held in esteem and that does have you know, sufficient compensation, then it'll be easier. Okay. I want to make sure all of our panelists for the first hour have time to make some closing remarks. So let me grab one more question on the microphone for this hour. We have a second hour to come in a different panel and a lot more to get through here. We'll try to keep it as tight as we can. Go ahead. I'm Dolores Jackson Radney, and I am a citizen of Rochester, New York. I wanted to talk about solution. And right now, as a community educator and artist in uh, in residence in many of the schools, I think that we can have uh, people of color in front of all of our students right now if you decided to have community partnerships with organizations like mine, Kuumba Consultants, and many others. There, uh, a woman mentioned the a- ABC and a community uh, partnership there. So if we can remember that there are educators out here, that they can be right in front of our children and uh, integrating with staff that already exists. We also also do teacher education. So all of this can be a part of the solution. And that's what I wanted to say. Thank and you. thank you for the, this panel Thank today. you very much. Thanks for being here. Uh, let's offer our, our panelists a chance, uh, about a minute each here, uh, to make some final remarks in our first hour. Sean Nelm, Superintendent of East. Go ahead, sir. Yeah, thank you. We covered a range of topics, and I just want to uh, finish by saying that, um, again, Evan, thank you for bringing such an important topic to light, um, and also for districts that lack the diversity to not be discouraged. I think we heard today a few solutions involving community programming, um, community opportunities, also having superintendents, I know they're currently working on this as a county, to share resources. Um, Again, uh, I think that Rochester is a very unique place. We're on the rise economically. Um, You could see it everywhere we go, if it's Jazz Fest or, you know, Fashion Week. Um, But now it's time for us to, to open up our doors so that the diversity doesn't just live within the city. 
that diversity is experienced and um, throughout the throughout the rest of the county. And I think we're headed in the right direction. And your work and being an advocate for this is, is incredible. And I That's appreciate you and all that you've done for this community, Evan. Thank you, Dr. Nelms. Uh, Simeon Bannister, go ahead. Evan, again, thanks for uh, for hosting this show. One of the ironies that uh, is certainly not lost on me with this topic is the extent to which a lot of folks uh, from a lot of places where they decry the size of uh, of government seem to benefit, you know, quite significantly from it. Um, and uh, where um, we've got, you know, things like uh, our education system, uh, the uh, system of prisons in our, in, our, in our community, and so on and so forth. A lot of folks that benefit that say that we need smaller government, again, seem to, you know, take away a lot of resources uh, from this government. I think that we could have this conversation about a lot of other um, areas. Today we're talking about uh, education and about teaching, but if it was about photonics, if it was about advanced manufacturing, if it was about I could just run the list. Matter of fact, if you take the time to look in the Democrat and Chronicle or the Rochester Business Journal at the people to watch and all that kind of stuff, you'll see a theme that really jumps out at you. This is a real problem for us, right? This is a, I, 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 allow me to ring the bell and to sound the <laughs> alarm that this is a real problem because it is undercutting our capacity to be competitive in the world. We Thank need you, to do this. Thank you. Trina, about 30 seconds. Go ahead, Trina. Thank you for bringing this to the public. I, I really appreciate it. And um, I, I would just like to say that I hope there are lots of children out there, students who are listening today, and that they would consider education as a future profession. Thank you, Trina. About uh, 40 seconds, Candace Hudson, go ahead. I agree with everything that was said already. Thank you, Evan, for um, starting this series. I just want to add that in order for us to make a difference, the people who are um, there to make the difference, our districts, they have to recognize that there is an issue and want to do something about it. We can talk about it forever and go back and forth, but unless we realize there is a problem, nothing will be changed. How about a hand for our panel in the first hour? Tremendous conversation and insight from them. Candace Hudson, thank you so much, Candace, the teacher in Hilton. Sean Nelm, superintendent of East. Simeon Bannister, a board member at Rush Henrietta. Trina Newton, the superintendent of Geneva Schools. Thank you for being here. Short break, and we continue live from the Little Theater on the same subject. New panel next hour.